0: So we're going to turn to Matthew's Gospel, and we turn to the third chapter in the beginning really of Jesus' ministry that is marked by the story of baptism, and John has been telling the people about Jesus, and this is what happens in the midst of that And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the Word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. <coughs> Gracious God, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit to be fully present with us this morning. Lift us into heavenly places. Remind us of the hope that comes from being with you. Through the words of this story, say to us exactly what we need to hear. That is our hope. Speak to us, we pray, in such a way that we might go out refreshed and renewed and reminded of exactly who we are because of who you are. In Christ we pray, amen. Well, to me, that entire conversation that I just read a second ago has, it feels awkward. The whole thing feels awkward to me. Carolyn in the children's time, pointed to it as she pointed to the conversation that takes place between Jesus and John. It's this back and forth uncertain, awkward conversation. After all, John's been telling the people about the one who's supposed to come after him, one who is more powerful than I, John says, who will baptize with fire, he says, one whom I'm not worthy to tie the tie his shoes. And right in the midst of that, here comes Jesus asking to be baptized by John and it throws him. He doesn't expect that. He doesn't know what to do. Hence the awkwardness. There's awkwardness, quirky, hesitancy happening in this conversation. You can understand him questioning it. In fact, I think that Matthew is simply alluding to much to a much longer conversation, letting us know that it's, it happened without spelling out every piece of it, that this weird back and forth happens between Jesus and John. And John's wondering, why are you asking to be baptized? I, you should be baptizing me, not the other way around, to which Jesus says, let it be so for now. And I picture it going on from there. John saying, no, no, I don't really feel comfortable with this at all. We've known." I've known what's going to happen and this is not the way it's supposed to happen and it's supposed to be this way. And no, Jesus says, well, we're going to do it this way. No, I don't think so. Yes. I don't feel like I should. Yes, you should. Yes. No. Yes. Back and forth. And the people maybe start to get impatient like people do. And someone maybe jumps out and says, okay, well, somebody please just baptize somebody? We've been standing here way too long. It just has this Awkward feeling around it. It feels so human. Human. Feels human. And that's exactly the way Matthew wants it to feel. He wants it to feel human. Did you know that Matthew is the only one who has this conversation recorded? The others don't. Mark and Luke tell the story of Jesus being baptized by John, but they don't include this part in it. The Gospel of John doesn't have the story of Jesus being baptized at all. just indirectly alludes to that fact. Matthew's the only one. Why? Why make sure to include this? Well, to answer that question, or to get at it at least, Professor Tony Miller suggests that Matthew does it because Matthew has a specific agenda in mind. As Miller puts it, Matthew doesn't want us to have any question as to who this Jesus is. Instead of something that should arouse suspicion concerning Jesus' identity, Matthew's account of this baptism is presented as a righteous act of solidarity with those to whom and for whom Jesus has come. In other words, Matthew presents Jesus' baptism in this awkward fidgety fidgety way so that we might actually start to see a little bit of ourselves in it. Matthew's hope is that we might actually start to see a little bit of ourselves in Jesus here, so that we might actually start to see a little bit of Jesus in us. That's what part of what baptism's all about, after all. When we look in this font, we play around in this water, the hope is that we don't just see God, but we also see ourselves all in one place. As another scholar puts it, to understand baptism, one must understand what the re- One must understand the reality and the physicality of what it means to be human. And therefore what it means for God to save us by becoming just like one of us. That's what Matthew's trying to get across. That's what Matthew's trying to get us to start seeing. God becoming just like one of us. I can't think of a better way to do that than through an awkward, weird conversation in the midst of a moment that's supposed to be holy. I can't think of a better way. I can't think of a better way for us to start seeing a little bit of ourselves in Christ. A little bit of Christ in us. That's what Matthew wants for us. After all, And when you begin to see that, when you begin to see a little bit of yourself in God, a little bit of God in you, you start to see this whole gospel story in ways that you may never have seen before. Little things. Way beyond the miracles that Jesus performs and the glory of it all, you start to see some of the, the little stuff, the human stuff. You start to see things like How comfortable Jesus is in his own skin. Like when he's tired, he goes off to rest. When he's sad, he's not afraid to cry. He sometimes gets upset, he's human. He's also quick to forgive, slow to judge. He gives to others just as much as He receives from others. Those are the things you start to notice. You start to see yourself in Christ and Christ in you. You start to actually see Jesus as a model for what it looks like to be a real human being. When you start to do that, you start to think about, Jesus as a model for what it looks like to be a real human being. Of course, you turn the mirror on yourself and you start to wonder about yourself. What about my humanity? How good am I at it? How good am I at at being human? Well, how good are you at being human? You ever thought about that? Is that a question that's ever come across? We always say, well, we are. Doesn't mean we're good at it. How good are you at being human? Let me put it to you this way, when's the last time you said you were sorry? How good are you at that? When's the last time you told someone you're sorry, even when you didn't think you did anything wrong? We're not good at admitting that we're sorry. No, we'd much rather come up with the reason for why we did that in the first place to justify it. That's easier than actually just saying, I'm sorry. We'd much rather find a way to blame it on something else or someone else, in other words, removing it from our control, instead of just saying, I'm sorry. You ever looked at a little kid trying to say they're sorry for the first time? They're terrible at it, awful. We have to learn to say we're sorry. How good are you at it? What about forgiveness? How good are you at forgiving someone else for doing something wrong and saying it in such a way that doesn't make them feel like a lower life form? I'm not really good at, it's hard. It's hard for us to do that. No, we'd much rather just hang on to whatever it is that's bugging us. Let it sit there and fester inside of us. Hoping that one day it'll go away and knowing that it never is going to go away. How good are you at forgiving someone else? Forgiving yourself. Lastly, how good are you at giving and receiving? How good are you at that? If I were to be honest, I'd have to say that we're probably better at giving than we are receiving We'd much rather be the one who gives, right? The reason is, is because in order to receive, in a sense, we have to admit that we need help. And we don't like doing that. We don't like asking for help or admitting that we need help. Why? Because we're told, we're taught that asking for help is a sign of weakness. You should be able to stand on your own two feet. Truth is, you can't do that, of course. So we struggle to ask for help to receive in that way. But here's the thing, if you don't allow someone else to help you, you are robbing them of the joy of knowing they are able to give. And you're also robbing the two of you from the relationship that comes in that experience. How good are you? being human, seeing a little bit of yourself in Christ so that you might see a little bit of Christ in you. C.S. Lewis has an image that I think is helpful here. It's a wonderful image. He says this, he says, imagine yourself as a living house a living house, and God has come in to rebuild the house, and at first, perhaps, everything God is doing makes sense, making sure the drainage is right and the roof has no leaks, but then God starts to knock about the house in ways you didn't expect, and you start to wonder, what's God doing here with me as a house? The answer is that God is building a different kind of house than you thought God would build, adding a new wing over here, putting on another floor up here. You may have thought that God is building you into a decent little cottage when in fact God is actually building a palace, one that God Himself intends to live in. In other words, you're a work in progress. An unfinished product of God's own making. Matthew wants us to see that. That's why he creates this awkward conversation at the start of the baptism story, at the beginning of his gospel, wants us to begin to see a little bit of ourselves in Jesus so that we might then begin to see a little bit of Jesus in us. You are growing into the palace of your own humanity, one in which God has come to live in. So do me a favor today, start living out your baptism. Start trying to become more of a human being, trying to see a little bit of yourself in Christ and a little bit of Christ in you. Start being an actual human being with Jesus as your model, the one who accepted his own humanity fully and completely. The one who has come to make a home in your heart and in your life. Can you do that for me? Amen.